PFG Private Wealth Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. The topics and information discussed during this podcast are not intended to provide tax or legal advice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed insurance agents. The rules of retirement have changed. No longer can most of us rely on Social Security or a single pension to fund our futures. We're living longer, and retirement doesn't just last a handful of years anymore. Instead, you might stay retired for 20 or 30 years, and maybe even more. We need to look at retirement through a new lens, with fresh eyes, with a new approach and plan of attack. Here to answer the call are financial advisors John Texera and Nick McDevitt of PFG Private Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Tampa Bay area. This podcast is Retirement Planning Redefined, and it starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome into Retirement Planning Redefined with John and Nick of PFG Private Wealth, serving the Tampa Bay area. Thanks for tuning into the podcast as we talk investing, finance, and retirement. And we're going to jump in and get started with the conversation. Guys, I hope you're doing well. Uh, we were kind of laughing right before we started the, the session recording here that uh, John's been doing some uh, swim lessons with his kids, and it's been going really well. And I wanted to make the joke that uh, Nick, you finally learned how to swim. <laughs> yeah, no, all all joking aside, uh, you know, uh, I can swim and swim well, but uh, but besides that, you're welcome, Nick. Yes. We've been doing some Zoom uh, <laughs> swim lessons, so. Zoom, lessons. Zoom yeah, tutorials I, I, on swimming. Yeah, I get in the bathtub with goggles and you know <laughs> see what happens. Um, but uh, no, I've been doing well. Things are starting to kind of slowly get back to you know normal from the standpoint of I want to say last week I went out to dinner for the first time oh, okay. uh, at a restaurant outside in a few months, so that was pretty cool. So things are so slowly starting to kind of get back to normal. Although you know it's going to be interesting as uh, some of the numbers seem to spike here how things will adapt over time, but yeah, yeah, uh, but no complaints, no complaints here. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see as the, you know, as this cluster bang of a year continues to wobble on. So, uh, we're about halfway through 2020 at this point. And so we've still got a lot to go, so we'll see how it shakes out, but that's good. Glad to hear that, uh, there's some good positive spots here and there. So let's jump into our topic. So let's review the importance of risk management and asset protection. Let's just start with a basic overview, Nick. Yeah. So, for those that are listening that have been through our class that we hold at the local uh, colleges, you know, this will sound a little bit familiar, but we've had a couple of things pop up with clients and questions of uh, from friends and things like that. So we thought it would be a good topic to re-review where oftentimes people get focused on kind of the fun or more exciting aspects of planning, you know, which may be investments or, you know, talking about retirement and those sorts of things. But Really, risk management is is a super important, you know, part of overall planning because you know really the objective is to increase your probability for success by reducing your risk, and then ultimately, overall, you know, the goal by doing that is to to do it while keeping your costs down. So, you know, when we go through the planning process with clients, we do review their property and casualty insurance. We're looking for how their accounts are titled. You know, we're looking and analyzing things from the standpoint of, 
you know, are we making sure that things are protected? So, you know, we always like to make sure that people do realize because it isn't necessarily something that is top of mind. And oftentimes, you know, when you talk to people, the reality is that when they're shopping out their homeowner's insurance or car insurance, you know, they end up having been with a company for a long period of time. Usually it's price dependent. So we've seen where people made a change to cut costs, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago. And now they're in a completely different financial situation and they haven't made adjustments to correlate to that from the, from a risk management standpoint. So um, we just kind of wanted to walk some people through that. So uh, one of the first things that we kind of review and talk about uh, and help people to understand are that, you know, there are certain assets that are creditor uh, or as, you know, protected in the state of Florida. You know, this is something, again, we're not attorneys, we're not property and casualty agents, but these are topics that we review. Uh, and this is one of uh, the perfect examples of something there where we can provide feedback, you know, give you quite help provide you with questions to ask and then help connect you with or, you know, you connect with an existing relationship that you have with a property and casualty agent, you know, with an attorney, um, if there are legal documents that need to be involved, that sort of thing. But, you know, in the state of Florida, uh, it's important and many people know that you can declare your primary residence as your homestead. And there are a lot of protections built into declaring your home uh, you know, homestead. So many people just focus on the tax benefits and that's one thing, but really it provides uh, creditor protection and asset protection uh, for your home. So that's a big deal. If you own non-qualified annuities and or have life insurance that has a cash value component to it, those are protected uh, in the state of Florida. Uh, qualified accounts. So in other words, 401k, IRA accounts, those accounts are protected in the state of Florida. Uh, one kind of quick caveat to that, where we'll have some people say, well, hey, you know, I'm 60, 70 years old, and I've got these accounts, and my home, you know, why do I need any sort of additional protection? And one of the things that we like to remind people are, are that, you know, those qualified accounts, you do have to start taking money out at a certain point. And at the time that they go from qualified to non-qualified, you know, that becomes something that could be, you know, available. From the aspect of different types of trusts, there are certain types of trusts that can be set up to provide protection for uh, assets. That's absolutely 100% in the realm of uh, working with an attorney. And John's going to talk about one of the misconceptions that a lot of people have when it comes to trusts. And just uh, kind of a basic thing that is important for people to consider. Let's say you own a business and um, you are not structured as an LLC. Um, you could be putting yourself at a little bit of risk from that standpoint. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot of pieces in there. So again, homestead, annuities, qualified accounts, LLC, certain trusts, some of these things are the protected assets, or at least in Florida. John, what are some of the non-protected? Yeah. So uh, some of the non-protected um, assets would be cash accounts or your bank accounts, things like that, CDs non-qualified investment accounts. So you, someone might have a, a brokerage account that they're just putting money into monthly or just maybe just put a lump sum in there. Just understand that that just because your retirement accounts are invested in, and you have investments there and they're current protected, if it's in a non-qualified account with investments, it, it's not protected. One other thing with the qualified accounts is to understand um, that there are limits to 
what is actually protected. So actually in an ERISA plan, which is a 401k, 403b type plan, you know, it's typically fully protected no matter what the amount is. And IRA, and this does go up, it used to be a million. And I believe right now it's about 1.3 million of an IRA is actually credit protected. And then a, a recent rule change in the past few years, inherited IRAs are no longer credit protected. So it's important to understand that, you know, if you inherit an IRA from somebody, um, it is not credit protected at all. Something that will come up, uh, Nick mentioned with the homestead, where your your primary home is credit protected, any secondary home you have is not. So that's a misconception we see sometimes. You know, if you have a, a rental property or let's say like a second vacation home, it's not credit protected. And then with uh, you know businesses, if you're a sole proprietor and you never develop any type of LLC, you know, so example, I have a sole proprietor, but I'm not an LLC, that is not credit protected. So that's why it's important to, you know, if you're working with an attorney, you want to ask these questions, hey, you know, should I create an LLC, you know, with the business? And um, you definitely want to have them help you draft the documents so that so they're done correctly. One of the biggest questions we get when we're doing planning and, and part of the planning is we look at the estate side of it. We don't, we don't draft any documents but we are knowledgeable enough to have people ask the right questions and point them in the right direction. But it's with trusts. A lot of people feel like, hey, if I set up a trust, does that protect my assets? And um, if it's a revocable trust, the answer is no. So a revocable trust basically just kind of get to the meat of it. You still have control of that trust. So you're the owner of it, you make decisions of it. And basically with that, it's still considered part of your estate. And for that reason, it's not credit protected. Yeah. And, and just for further emphasis on that, you know, those protections kind of tend to kick in after you pass yep. and the trust stays. But while you're alive, it's, you know, it's includable in your estate and, and, it, and it, you know, it doesn't provide those protections. And one other caveat or, or thing to consider, think about are for those non-qualified accounts, uh, non-qualified investment accounts and non-IRA, if you hold them jointly, in the state of Florida, using a tenants by the entirety title for those types of accounts, even if you hold it, you know, if you hold it with a spouse, it has to be with a spouse uh, to use that. That does provide some additional level of protection, although it's not the same as like a, a retirement account per se. Definitely, as you can tell, kind of gets confusing. So, mm-hmm. so you definitely want to, um, you know, ask ask the right questions if if you're want to know what is and what isn't and just ask to the right people. An advisor will will know enough and an attorney would, would definitely be the best resource. Yeah, I'm definitely. So if you're working with an advisor, obviously bring the conversation up with them, have them bring the attorney in and so on and so forth. And of course, John and Nick can help you in that arena as well. Now you mentioned property and casualty. So let's do a quick review of that as well. What are some things to consider? Sure. So the main types of property and casualty policies that people are going to have are going to be their car insurance, homeowners insurance, and maybe an umbrella policy. So one of the examples that we tend to give uh, from the perspective of a car insurance policy is really just kind of walking you through a scenario. So when you look at your car insurance policy, you're going to see that there are limits that are provided that are referred to liability. And then you will see a designation for what's called uninsured motorist or UIM. So the example that we usually use is, let's say John and I are both driving, you know, down the highway and we get into an accident. And, you know, so we're both in our late 30s, um, you know, uh, business owners, our incomes, you know, continue to go up. John has a family. I don't. But if something happens to me, 
you know, I do have assets going to, uh, you know, parents and brother and, and that sort of thing. So let's say we're driving and we get into an accident and um, because John likes to multitask a lot, he was texting and it's his fault. So we're going to blame him. So I have. Wait, 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 wait. Full disclosure. I never text and drive. <laughs> I do multitask, but I do not do that. Good job. That's good. That's good. So we get into an accident. I have, you know, damages, you know, fairly serious damages. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to sue him. You know, there's kind of a negative connotation um, oftentimes with the whole aspect of, you know, suing somebody, which the reason that we use this example is because, you know, here we are, we're friends, we're colleagues, you know, in, in many ways, business partners, that sort of thing. But the reality is, is that if there's damages and, and mistakes happen and mistakes are made, you know, ultimately my responsibility for me and, you know, family is to try to be become whole again from a financial standpoint. So I go ahead, I sue him. The first thing that's going to be reviewed and looked at are going to be his liability limits. So the liability limits protect him from lawsuit from somebody else when he is at fault, essentially. So let's say he has uh, one of the most common levels of coverage that we see is what's called like 100, 300. So what that means is 100,000 per person in the accident, a total of 300,000 in the vehicle. So in this instance, in this situation, I'm the only person in the vehicle. So the maximum amount that his car insurance company is going to pay out that they're going to send their lawyers, you know, to deal with this lawsuit, the maximum amount that they're going to pay out is 100,000. If I happen to have other people in the vehicle, that's where that 300,000 limit would come into play. But let's say my damages are 250,000 and uh, you know, the most his insurance company is going to pay out is the hundred, you know, so now what? So at that point, what's going to happen, uh, it, there's going to be kind of uh, different phases. So I'm going to have an attorney and my attorney is going to look at, Hey, you know, does John have additional assets that are not protected? Like we talked about earlier that are available through suit. So that's something that he's going to request, you know, some sort of inventory, financial inventory, asset balance sheet um, via the lawsuit. The other thing that they're going to look at is, hey, Nick, you know, do you have uninsured motorist coverage? And, you know, luckily, because I do this sort of thing, I have planned ahead and I have uninsured motorist coverage. So what uninsured motorist coverage does is it protects me in the case of having, you know, damages that are above and beyond what the person who, you know, inflicted the damage has. So in this case, my limits for uninsured motorists, let's just say they're 250,000, I can essentially sue my own insurance company to fill in that gap to get me up to that 250,000 so that that coverage has protected me. So the liability limits protect the person at fault against you know the the person having damages and and not having enough coverage so because we do see people oftentimes outright reject uninsured motorist coverage and knowing that especially in the state of florida people are often underinsured or uninsured having uninsured motorist coverage is something that we think is important to have a, a level of protection and so so the same scenario i was injured and john had coverage and I had substantially uh, much more significant damages. Let's say that I was permanently disabled and I wasn't going to be able to work anymore. 
And so the amount that uh, the amount of protection and coverage that I'm looking for is going to be substantially more than the hundred thousand that John has, or even the two hundred and fifty thousand that I have in the uninsured motorist. And that's where something like an umbrella policy could come into play. So what an umbrella policy will do is it's a type of coverage that uh, essentially goes above what you have for the auto coverage. So an umbrella policy can be both liability and uninsured. So in this example, what we'll use for the example is we'll say, hey, uh, Nick has an umbrella policy. And because my damages were a million dollars and John's insurance company has paid out a hundred thousand. My insurance company has paid out 250,000. There's still a gap of 650,000. Essentially I can go ahead and sue my insurance company from the, the standpoint of the umbrella to try to fill in that additional gap. So if John had had an umbrella policy, they would have tried to use that for protection. But in this scenario, me having an umbrella policy and being the one that had had the damages really comes to the uh, point of being able to protect me and my assets. Yeah. And certainly it's important to review your risk management, your asset protection, because something like an accident, you know, can certainly derail retirement plans. It can really wreak a lot of havoc and other things that you had going on as well. There's countless stories out there along situations like that. So if you've got some questions or concerns about this week's topic and you need some help, reach out to John and Nick. And of course, they can help point you in the right directions for some of the things they don't do, as mentioned earlier. Uh, it's always important to re- review and have these conversations about all these little assets. It's not just about you know you know income, which obviously that's super important in retirement, but there's all these other little facets. And so this week we focused on some risk management and asset protection when it comes to uh, some of the things that are protected in Florida, not protected, and a bit about the property and casualty as well. So reach out to them if you've got questions on these topics at 813-286-7776 to have a conversation about your own situation, 813-286-7776 or share the information with a friend who might benefit from that well. And go to pfgprivatewealth.com to learn more about John and Nick and their practice. pfgprivatewealth.com, a lot of good tools, tips, and resources. You can also click on the podcast page. You'll see that right at the top. And you can subscribe to us on whatever platform you like to listen to. And we would certainly appreciate it. Guys, thanks so much for your time this week. As always, I appreciate it. Uh, all that you do to help us out here and uh, continue to uh, do do a good job with those swimming lessons there, John. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and Nick, maybe one day you can take the floaties off. You'll be good. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll see you next time here on Retirement Planning Redefined. 